0: Hello, my name is Nancy Hess. I am founder of the Pioneering Change Community, a community for local government managers. This is a special podcast episode hosted by some of the members of our advisory team. This team is made up of managers who have retired or transitioned to another phase of their career and assistant managers who are coming up in the field. The contrast in their perspectives is intentional as they interact on why, how, and what to negotiate in a manager contract. For many years, I have heard anecdotal comments from managers that go something like, I wouldn't mind having a contract like Ron Ragamans, or everything I know about negotiating a manager contract I learned from Ron Ragaman. So it seemed like a natural choice to feature Ron on a podcast. But I decided I was not the right choice to interview him, so I asked his longtime colleague and friend, Larry Communal, to do the honors, and a few of the other advisory team members joined the session to weigh in with comments and questions. Keith Height helped out with hosting, and while it was a bit of a new approach for this podcast, I think what you will find is a richly rewarding, nerdy-like discussion on this topic. I have organized the show notes to help you navigate specific questions. We start out in a clear direction and then round the corner to the second half of the show, we begin to meander into some interesting territory. So if you are interested in this topic, stay with us as we get warmed up and then head into the deep waters of manager contracts. In addition to Keith helping out with hosting, you will hear Jack Hines join the conversation and later Aaron Trone. David Kratzer, and Joe Mensch. I also jump in with a question or two. You can find links to everyone's contact information at the end of the show notes.
1: Thank you. Let's
2: start at the beginning, Ron. Could you explain the statutory authority that allows governing bodies to provide for manager contracts in Pennsylvania? Yes, it's, it's not really that old, all of municipal codes for townships and second class for first class townships for boroughs and for cities, the first three townships and the boroughs it specifically talks about the manager is, uh, is authorized to have an agreement, an employment agreement. However, of course, it's limited to no longer than two years. It has to be renewed after every municipal election under Pennsylvania law that occurs every two years. Now, the city codes have, they don't use the word manager, they use the word administrator, but there's the same similar wording. They're, they provide for the fact that there can be an administrator with an employment agreement. And again, there's the limitation on the length of time. That is something that happened when the legislation was first being proposed. And I know it was the senator from my own community in Upper Murray and he proposed the legislation, but also included a two-year limit that it could only, the agreement could only run from one municipal election to the next municipal election. So in Pennsylvania, that's the legal authority for the managers and the administrators having a employment agreement. In view of those statutory provisions, and our topic today is negotiate managers' contracts and so forth, how, does, how do, should managers with a contract keep them enforceable? As I said, the current law requires that the agreement has to be renegotiated and renewed after each municipal election. So the fact that all of the elected officials that are serving on the board have an opportunity to vote on that agreement, and that's something that, that you want. I know I didn't have that law when I was a manager, but I had an agreement immediately with Upper Murray and I had, there was seven contracts and there were eight amendments to those contracts so that I averaged about every two years that the agreement, as is required now, it was being redeemed, had to go before the board of supervisors and they had to publicly vote on it at the public meeting. So again, it was a very public process and every board manager that was sitting had an opportunity to vote on the agreement. I think one of the things you've taught, taught me, Ron, was was to have all the sitting board members on the agreement when it's approved. That's what I always attempted to do. Of course, when I was doing it, I didn't have to do it before each municipal election. But as we all know, townships of the second class, it's two members, two members, and one member. So some years I could go four years, and others I could only go probably about three years in making sure. But I always and insisted on having the signatures, a majority of the signatures, of the sitting board members on the contract, that way they were familiar with the agreement, they approved the agreement, and we really did get into disagreements over the benefits that were being provided and the township living up to those conditions that were in the contract. And then of course, when that majority was going to change, but like I said, today it's required. You have to go back in and negotiate amendments to your agreement, or renegotiate a new agreement if that's what you choose to do. and that's what I did most of the time was renegotiate the whole agreement. So all of the language that was looked at as we were going through it and the amendments that I was trying to get to the agreements were being discussed and being voted on. What would be your advice to the newly appointed manager negotiating his or her first contract? I think the advice I would give is. One, go through the hiring process, and you're not really going to get into any discussions. But I didn't get into any discussions until I was made the offer to be the manager, in my case, of Upper Marion Township. And once I was made the offer that I put on the table, what I was looking for, and of course, one of those things I was looking for, I made them aware of that I, would, I wanted an employment agreement. Again, because as we all know, the average life expectancy of a manager is four to five years. And in most cases, and this was my case, I was moving from outside of Upper and, and bringing my family in, incurring that expense of getting a new house, and moving the family down and so on. And therefore, <clears throat> I wanted some assurance that the arrangement of being the, the town's manager also would give me some stability and get into some of those aspects that that I that were negotiated. But I think the new manager, that's something that once they're made the offer, you're the selection of the town, then you should get into discussions with the elected officials about an employment agreement. One of the the things that you and I have talked about, and it's often put in at least the conditional offer letter to someone, to the person who 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 is offered the job, is that their salary would be set on automatic pilot in the sense that. They would get increases that other, often it said, non-uniform employees would get. And that would be automatic. You have a different opinion of that on that, Ron. What could you explain? What your thinking is that why that clause maybe shouldn't be in a, an in, a, in agreement. First of all, the agreement is supposed to be public. All of the general public should have access to the agreement, see what has been agreed to and what the salary is. Therefore, the salary or the future increases in salary should be given in the agreement. And basically that's what I did was of course the, I'll call it the base salary. When that particular agreement started, in my particular case, I really didn't negotiate dollar amounts. I did negotiate some percentage increases. And many times those percentage increases were based on the annual numbers that are put out in regards to executive salary increases. And it was not the same that the other employees got because, again, I, as manager, was negotiating those labor agreements and negotiating the raises in the police department and, of course, for the non-uniform employees. And therefore, I did not want somebody to say or having the opinion that, hey, Wagaman's negotiating those because he gets the benefits or whatever those numbers are. And I have to tell you, my numbers also aren't any greater (laughs) than the numbers that they got. As a matter of fact, in some cases, they were slightly less than like the police department got, but I also would point out that at least while I was manager, the non-uniform employees got the same percentage increases as the police department got, but that was the philosophy I did. And then they were all listed in the agreement. And then there were times when I would negotiate in the contract increases to the base salary that <clears throat> could be substantial. Some years I got bonuses in addition to the salary increases that was negotiated with the board and so on. Again, everything was there. And if you took a look at the municipal budget, my salary and what I was compensated as a salary was not hit, was presented right in the budget. When you looked up the manager. That was the salary that I got for the year. The, uh, yeah, can I,
3: could I comment on 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 the percentages and so forth? Was I, in our municipality we don't have any labor unions and to deal with, and we do a, a merit pay system. So I would be opposed to giving a manager annual increases in that contract. Although we do do a merit pay system, and the basis of that merit pay system is based on indices of inflation and everything else. So that the numbers that as one year, it may be 2% if you're doing your job across the board, and then in recent years, like this fast fall, the target was 5% for any employee based, and then it could above that or below that based on their evaluation, including the manager. So I, I would not want a manager to come in and ask me to give annual increases and again, I understand the difference in the structure of a community that has labor unions and they're negotiating those contracts, but I would prefer that we do it in our standard system. And what we do with our manager is we look at him as the same as other employees based on the Merit Pay system, but then we give him benefits that we think are important to his role as manager, such as additional contributions to his retirement funds, and those kinds of things because of, and I have to go back to it, I served in that position and I got old very quickly and realized that I need to live after I'm done being a manager. And I think that those kinds of things are more important than a daily wage. So we try to look at giving benefits to our manager, recognizing his number of hours that he spends and being available day and night and those kinds of things. So when he retires, he or she can enjoy the fact that they voted so much of their life to our community.
2: That's fine. That was your particular position. I could certainly work for you and negotiate that position because essentially that's what it was. We had the labor union. Like I said, I didn't go after the same raises that the labor union got. Matter of fact, my raises were normally less than that because I negotiated them and didn't want somebody accusing me. You're not very tough at negotiations because you're getting what you're agreeing to. And that's why I took the position I did. I think, uh, I think that's true of, uh, I may be going out limp here a little bit with school superintendents, which are a whole different animal with the, where the pay category they're in, but they, uh, I think by law, they're guaranteed a percentage based on what they negotiate with their teachers. And I agree with you, Chad, for sure. I think it's a double-edged sword in the sense that it's a benefit to the municipality. Because it gives you an opportunity to review the manager's performance, but it also, I think is a benefit for the manager and you just, you put your finger right on it. Like the manager can adjust his, or ask for an adjustment in his paying benefits based on his situation, his or her situation. So it's, I think it works both ways, not having that built into a contract that amount. Follow-up question on this, Ron. I think one of the things that, and Ron and I do some manager searches and and so forth, and we're often surprised with what we hear that candidates want, or and some of that's age-based. Millennials are interested in different things than, than maybe older people or younger. Where does a manager go to get some advice on what how to deal with these issues, what to have in an initial contract and so forth. We know that ICMA, for instance, the International City County Management Association, they do put out a publication called Bottle Employment Agreement, and it covers a lot of the points, but there's also options within that. Also, PSATs, or not PSATs, but in the state, there was a publication that was put out again on municipal agreements that not only provided a draft agreement, but also presented some of the arguments about why a manager should have an agreement, a checklist of the conditions, and then it also gave some strategies on increases in compensation and so on. So there's, there's a number of things that are out there, but also just meeting with your fellow managers at some of the association meetings and so on and feeling out if they've got agreements. I would tell you this, nine times out of 10, uh, they'll share. If they've got agreements, they'll share the information with you. I would certainly do that. I had no problem running a copy of my uh, agreement and so on. Of course, it was a public document anyway. If technically they wanted to get a hold of a copy of it, it's achievable. But I would work with fellow managers and and, uh, get into discussions and so on. Larry, could I interrupt for a moment, please? I
4: think Aaron may have had a question or comment earlier, and I didn't want to get too far afield. Aaron, did you... Yeah, Question
5: when, when you were talking about the contract and it being reelected each year or every two years and after each election and um, voting on it, did you do that by resolution? Like we, I think by resolution, do a manager's salary each year. Did you incorporate it into that or was it just a motion at the public meeting?
2: In my particular case, we would present the agreement. And the board would vote to approve the agreement in regards to the annual raise and so on, that was presented at the budget with the recommendation of what the salary for the manager would be. And of course, when the board adopted the budget, they were of course agreeing to that number. Aaron, I think, you know, again, not to go too far, I think Lower Allen, if I'm not mistaken, actually established the salary for the position Via ordinance, and there's language in that ordinance that governs that notes that it shall be increased by resolution. So, I I think there's a a little bit of a nuance as it relates to Lower Allen in terms of specifically having a number in the code of ordinances for the position of the manager. All
5: right, it's good to know when you're weird, that's helpful.
2: (laughs) Aaron, and and the other thing, Aaron, and we may have mentioned it bears repeating if you do have that resolution, I would handle it a little different than you would other resolutions and having all the board members, if it relates to your salary increase, if it references your existing contract and changes, one of the, one of the goals is to have everyone, all sitting board members sign that. I think it's, it adds a more credibility to, legal credibility to it. And then there's maybe a less likely chance that there would be some challenge to it if you have everyone's signature.
3: Jack? And th- that, that document is, should be part of what the auditors look like, look at yes. when they do their audit. And I will say that we do all of our salary increases by resolution that are signed by all the board members. Good. Then, and that's part of, that then goes to the finance who that then can make those wages paid on a regular basis.
4: David, did you have a follow-up? David, I I
3: just wanted to make mention that when we're talking about resources, the other source is the
2: APMM, the Association for Pennsylvania Municipal Management. I took the model ICMA agreement and modified it to to a Pennsylvania context. Just as we're talking about resources to look at least at the base form of agreements, APMM would also be able to assist managers
3: with that issue.
2: Yeah, the resolution is fine. That's an ordered way to do it. We did it by agreement but the agreement also had all the existing supervisors, once there was a vote in approving it, they signed the agreement. I agree that however you do it, get all the elected officials to sign it because that ensures that they're aware of what it is and they've approved it. Did
4: everyone see Nancy's comment that she's going to have a, a model, the ICMA agreement in the show notes today?
2: Oh, that's great. That's good. And one one mention of caution: the ICMA model agreement is not for everyone. It's it's geared to larger municipalities, generally speaking. Although there's a lot of lot of good ideas there to to pull from it to pick and choose what's. It's what the got, priority. yeah, it's got some additional sections and so on, but for a basic. Labor agreement, all the sections that you want to see to the minimum are listed there. And it does give you ideas for other clauses and other alternatives. One thing I would add for Jack, because he brought it up in the agreement, would be to have a section that requires that the manager's performance be evaluated on an annual basis by the elected officials so that, again, the manager knows how they're performing. Are there any problems or any issues between the manager and the elected officials? And it can keep minor matters (laughs) in the minor category because, again, those particular issues can be brought as a part of that process. And part of that evaluation is how the manager is performed, but also in our particular case, we had goals and objectives that we would establish every year. And as a part of that evaluation process, the board could also react to how progress was being made on those goals and objectives. Yeah, Yeah. Larry, one more thing. You made an important point about
4: the ICMA model. And if it's of any interest to folks, PSATs for many years has maintained a database of managers contracts from around the state. And for people who are interested in seeing what's going on in other communities, it is population-based. And I think that that's very helpful to city managers and to folks that like to become a manager to see how they're structured.
1: That's a good point, Keith. One,
2: One of the things I want to talk about a little bit, and it is mentioned in the ICMA model contract, and that is, and Jack mentioned it again in the playoff, Jack's points, on the additional the recognition of the time that managers spend at meetings and addition 24 7 emergencies and one of the clauses in the model agreement i think reads something like there is a recognition that the manager is spending this additional time so that the, the board would afford flexibility for his schedule if it didn't impede township operation or municipal operations and i've never been a big fan of that clause because that's so esoteric. And I think Ron had approached this more in a more specific way. And uh, Ron, do you want to just expand on that a little bit on how you dealt with the additional time you put in as a manager? Oh, Over time, as I worked for Upper Murray and things changed, we were able to work with the board. And in the case of the different department heads and your chief executives who were salaried and weren't necessarily open to overtime, the board eventually agreed to a policy where compliance by those individuals could be accumulated after the first three night meetings of the month. And they could accumulate it on an hour for hour basis. And then that gave them additional time. So they did need to modify the contract or take time a off if they put extra time in, that was the way, in the case of Upper Murray, the board ended up agreeing to, to recognize those extra hours that, that they put in.
3: Let's, let's move on. Right. To going on. Uh, let me just comment on that. We actually do that for all of our senior staff level people that are uh, required to attend meetings and so forth, but for the manager, and that's my opinion, uh, in being both sides, in my opinion, as a supervisor, is that we hire the manager. We want to give him proper compensation, proper benefits, take good care of him. But we expect him to do the job in whatever way it takes, whether it's excess time or little time. I can remember when I was first hired in the municipality, one of the supervisors who I had great respect for still do, said to me, he says, we don't care how long it takes you to do this job. If it takes you 100 hours a week. That's your problem if it takes you five hours a week that's also your problem but mm-hmm. you get the job done and accomplish what we want to get accomplished and we're happy and i tried to balance that out i know we all spent a lot of time extra time it, working for the community it's mainly because we like to do it i think but also we also were able to do things On a basis, sometimes on Fridays, you know, I'd stay later at the rotary meeting or those kinds of things. And because I could do that and it worked out very well for us in the community. But I don't, I don't agree that a manager should be granted comp time and trying to manage hours because I think they're more professional than that and they can manage their time to their benefit as well as community benefit.
2: I have no problem with that except I disagree with it's not professional. It's professional. I consider it's professional if you negotiated, Jack, and it's something that the elected body agrees to. I used to put in 60 and 70 hours a week. I was out three to four nights a week and two to three things on the weekend. Worked it out with the board. They did it for the executive employees, but then they agreed that to apply to me. And I never took advantage of it in regards to taking time off stuff. Because again, I'm like you, it was a job to get done, how to get done. It's, it's an interesting topic, and I agree with you, Jack. Sometimes, I got to say, and maybe we're, the three of us were guilty of this, we're our own worst enemies because we, we do this voluntarily because we think it takes, we have to be in control, quote unquote, and yeah. we be everywhere. <laughs> it's a common, I get that all this, how do I say, this insight from my wife. She tells <laughs> me that those we're all control freaks or managers are, and, and sometimes it's self-inflicted. That's what I'm trying to say, but you're, you make a great point. Let's move on to the uh, uh, severance clause, which is the focal point of most contracts. The severance clause essentially provides for salary and benefits to continue if the governing body wishes to terminate the manager's employment. What amount of severance is reasonable? And let's start with that and we can move on to some other things. And I know that's a, that can be a subject of varying opinions. Again, it, it depends on the board. When I was first hired by Upper Murray and I had a two-month severance package, it's something that I negotiated because again, I was moving my family down, incurring expenses of moving, they did not assist or pay any of my building expenses and of course, had to sell the house, buy a new house, leave the family down. And originally I wanted, I was hoping I could get six months, I ended up with two months. And then eventually over the years, that grew in, in negotiations with the board to where it, it became six months. And then eventually it got to a year and uh, they agreed to a requirement that they had to give me 90 days notice if they were going to let me go. And if not, then that got added to the severance package. And that was, of course, when I was in the middle of my stage, my career with Upper Marion and, and still had the family and so on. Then over the years, as as Jack said, as I approached retirement, then I negotiated changes to where the severance package got phased out and they agreed to make a contribution of 25% of that into a health retirement savings account for when I retired. And eventually the severance package just got lowered to 30 days at the end of my career again this is something that you as a manager need to do you need to evaluate where you are in your life what are your priorities and then negotiate changes in the agreement to support that as i got older uh, especially when i left uh, lower paxton after 12 years i had a total of three thousand dollars in in the retirement account and that was one of the reasons that i Pursued And when I was first hired by Upper Marion. They agreed I could go with a 457 account with ICMA, and I was it went in and it was my immediate. It wasn't something that I had to work 12 years to be vested in the pension program. And then over the years, and again, as I got closer to retirement, negotiated that percentage up to where they were putting 10% in. I was batching the 10%. And then actually, when they switched their non-uniform pension program from a defined benefit to a defined contribution plan, they also allowed me to go in and then that added to the point that really I was getting 25% of my salary put into pensions. And again, like I said, that was at the end of my career and when I was looking at retirement, making sure that I would be in a good position. And I always made sure I matched the numbers that they were putting in as well. And that's what you have to do you're working on the agreement and as life changes, then you negotiate in each subsequent agreement, the changes that best support your goals that you're, that you've now established.
3: Yeah, I'd like to comment that I, and I've gone back 40 some years to when our township did the first manager's contract or not contract, but the ordinance to enable the township to have a, a manager. And within that was a section where we dealt with severance, and it was based on number of years and so forth, so much time for the number of years you'd served and that kind of thing. And interestingly enough, we just reviewed a an employee that was, there was an agreement that they wanted to leave. We were happy with that, and but they wanted some benefit from leaving early and that kind of thing. And our present manager said, we're going to give them this and this based on what we, have the, what we had put in the original manager's contract, just so it'd be. there'd be a basis for for the public. And I said, why the heck are we giving them all that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but I, I think that there's two ways, looking at both sides, there's two ways to accomplish that if there's a manager's orders, particularly... If it's a new a community that's doing the manager for the first time, it may be worthwhile for Pete and others and the, the Pennsylvania Association managers to uh, see if that can be included. A severance part where it says, if you're asked to leave or we don't want you anymore, that it gives the manager a certain benefits. And maybe if I look at that from a supervisor, I wouldn't agree with it all, but I still think it's a good thing to get in there. And I think if there's a manager's agreement with the community, I think that's probably besides which, how you treat the manager as they go into the future and how you treat that manager, because you can be doing a great job in a community and the flavor of the community changes without it being your fault. And managers can do a great job, but personalities change and you can have a great board. But again, it may be a different bent on how they want to accomplish things and so forth. So I think you do need to have that in there to be able to move on, as Ron said. If you have to move your community, move your family, establish a new roots somewhere, that's all important. And I think it's important to let elected officials and I'm, don't tell them I said this know that it, managers just can't go anywhere. There's limited possibilities if you want to do what we've done, and and there's not. A, there's a lot of good communities out there, but there's not a lot of that deal well with a manager. So we want to make sure that we get this right. Yeah, John, I
2: would agree. Because in, in my agreement, actually, as you indicated, covered both things. If they fire me, then there's a severance package. But also there was a requirement where if I was going to leave, I had to give them sufficient notification again so that they could go out and seek another candidate that I didn't leave the client guide and just walk off. I had to actually by agreement required. I give them 60 days minimum notice if I was resigning leave it. and leaving. And there was some other conditions that it mentioned that in case there was some game playing going on eventually I resigned, but it was because I was forced to resign, they still had to honor the severance package. And that's really the beauty of the municipal codes and adding the managers because it now legitimatized the severance package. And if they don't renew the contract, then they've got to pay the severance package, and that was the big thing that came with adding the manager's agreement to the various municipal codes. Because all the other conditions in the contract, as long as they're satisfied with you and things are working out, they would honor the contract. Let's face it, the only time it would break down is if they were dissatisfied with your performance and so on. But the key thing was the severance package, it's now legitimatized that aspect of the agreement yeah and then let's clarify one thing if i would certainly be supportive and in, in most contracts if it, the severance clause doesn't apply if it's a dismissal due to clause and that should be spelled out whether it's a felony of any kind of misdemeanors it should be clearly defined because you don't want it to be how do i say an open open kind of uh, definition but certainly a severance clause should not come into play where a manager is, is found to be guilty of wrongdoing. Actually specifically in the in the agreements that I had, it was specifically worded that way, that if it was due to conviction or certain crimes or not only serious crimes, but say financial crimes against the township and so on and so forth, then I could be severed immediately. And I was not entitled to any severance package at all.
4: Larry, let me jump in here. This has really been going very well and incredible give and take, but uh, let's jump ahead and uh, do a short break here and uh, give everyone a chance to catch their breath and see if we have any additional comments or questions out there.
0: Sure. I'm going to just jump in here. (laughs) And I really am interested to hear some thoughts about the manager that is interested in getting a, a contract but is with a, an elected body that maybe has not contemplated or had a contract before, maybe they haven't even had a manager before, this is new. How do you introduce that subject or at what point in the process would you recommend introducing the idea you know, to bring up the fact that you would like to have a contract?
2: One, well, Nancy, that's a great question because full disclosure, my last position in the Lower Gwinnett Township, where I was there 18 years, had very good experience. When I was hired, they told me they would not, they didn't believe in contracts. And it was a part of a calculation I made that, that I thought it was a good fit for me. I liked the community. I liked the board makeup. And I took the job anyway, without a contract and I kept, I did get, have a contract within a couple of years and with all the things that, that we mentioning the severance clause and so forth. So it, it is a, it's a very good question. I think it, it's a, it, it really has to, how do I say it, it, it really is situation specific about what, what the profile of the municipality is, whether they're whether you're relocating your family a long distance and so forth. So it, it certainly, I think, raises a red flag if, if a board is not willing to entertain a contract with this severance. But, but it, it isn't a fade line. I was taking the job with Upper Murray, and it's my first manager's position because I was coming down from Harrisburg, and I made that a priority when I opened up after they made the offer. That's when they want you and so on. I... Figured that was the best time to bring up the fact that I would like an employment agreement and why I would like the employment agreement. Because as Jack said, it really takes, it, it could take six months or more for a manager to find another job. And that's was the arguments I did. I was fortunate in the case of the elected body that I was dealing with, they were in agreement and we sat down and negotiated an employment agreement immediately when I took that, it went into effect when I took the job.
3: We were all older folks. When we were hired in various positions, they didn't do the thing, at least I don't recall, that most is done now is an offer of employment. And most, anytime we hire any professional people today, there's an offer of employment made. And I guess my question is, when an offer of employment is made, does that become a contract? And that, I know that I have hired outside of the township, I'm president of the library, we just hired a new director. And when we made the offer of employment, that became a negotiating tool, which was very appropriate. And we amended that to suit both the library and the new director. And my question would be, if you went and Miss Audi, and Miss Powdy gives you an offer of employment, does that become a contract or is that an enforceable document based on the fact that it's an offer of employment and, and includes some negotiated process, their programs, whatever.
2: In many cases, Jack, it is considered a contract. If the offer is being made by the governing body of position, here's the salary, here's the benefits and it's signed off by the chairman of the board. That's a written agreement for that. But it also, as you said, can open the door to where there can be some additional negotiations that take place. But I think the critical thing I'm trying to point or make is that, hey, if you're the manager, you're applying for the job, they've agreed to give you the job, you need to feel out to what extent can you get to an agreement? Is it just a letter of engagement or is it a letter of engagement with other modifications? Of course, there's some other things that I would point out that I uh, made sure I wanted to put into the agreement in regards to indemnification and, and some of the other things. That you also want to get right, and you want it to the the agreement to point out the ordinance that you're operating under, and so on. That's all part of it. And then, of course, as I said, an indemnification clause and even the bonding clause where you're required to get a bond, but you put it in the agreement. Yeah. If I qualify for a bond, the township has to pay the premiums on that bond. That's something you put into the agreement, also. Yeah, I do think, Jack, the director. Directly to your question, that the courts have ruled that those offers are contractual, can be enforced contract. I know of a couple of cases, not involving managers, even involving hospital administrators and so forth, where that's been that's that's been the court's decision. So I I think they are enforceable,
3: and they should be.
2: They, they.
3: Right. Yeah. And. Again, I'm looking at these issues from both sides, from being a manager and also being an elected official, but I really think that particularly today, written documents are very important for us to at least understand what our mutual basis is. And I would would suggest, and I have suggested to municipalities that are hiring a manager for the first time, make sure you put down what you expect from them and what they're expecting from you, and at least in some kind of a document. To make sure that you all have a basis of operation.
2: I agree with you. It cuts both ways. It's telling the elected body what the manager's looking for, but it's also telling the manager, hey, here's the elected body and what they're expecting from you. And it can avoid legal entanglements if you want to fire the manager, because then you have a basis for that. And I know from teaching with you, Jack, you've told stories where you've had to discharge employees and you've been a very scrupulous very scrupulous about your record keeping and you were, your actions were upheld, that's essentially runs in the same, same vein, that, that those expectations. You, even though you're a NAPLU employee, you can discharge people, but you can't discharge them for the wrong reasons. And, and if you don't have a basis for the discharge, you, can, you, you uh, expose yourself to those wrong reasons, even if they're not justified.
4: Before we move on, Larry, let's just see if there are any other questions or comments and then just allow you to move through the rest of the questions.
1: We haven't really covered this, but this is a situation if a manager has been promoted from within to the current manager position, but the contract hasn't come to fruition yet. It's been talked about, but it hasn't been implemented. What is the best way to handle that situation it was someone who was upper management became manager, but now it's in stasis. And obviously this is not for me, it's for our current manager. What's the best way to approach that? And what are some of the pitfalls to watch for when you're crafting a contract for someone that's already in the position?
2: Did the previous manager have an agreement? Uh, He did. I'm just asking that because that's one of the things the new candidate can start with is, hey. Here's the agreement that the previous manager had, I could have an agreement also, but they can also then add if there's any additional items that they would like to get covered or any changes they want in the agreement. But that way you're at least saying to the elected body, Hey, I'm not asking for something new. You had an agreement with the previous manager, you now offer me the job, and now I'd like to negotiate changes to that contract to to best serve mind requirements and hopefully the board. And then, of course, she can now cite the law that says, hey, if there's an agreement, it has to be negotiated. And then at the reorganization meeting, those two elected officials take office, that agreement should be voted on
1: and approved. Does the contract have to follow the timeline of election or can that be adopted at any time? It can be adopted at any
2: time, but the tail end limit is set. It says that the next after the next municipal election, the agreement needs to be renewed or negotiated. So yeah, that can happen. If you take over as a manager the second year that somebody's in that two year period, you can only have an agreement that would date from the date that you sign it to the reorganization meeting that following that the organization meeting that follows a municipal election. Not I know many townships organize every year, but it's only after a municipal election. And that was done because I think the legislatures, there are a lot of lawyers there and their solicitors and the solicitors were appointed year to year every other year. So they didn't want the managers to
3: have anything more
2: than the solicitors.
3: That was, that's at least my, my version on it. Hey Joe, did that appointment, the loss of the original manager, then the moving up of an internal appointment. Did that occur because of a contentious issue with the previous manager? Because I would be very concerned that some of the officials, again, nobody pays a lot of attention until it's time to pay attention. And that manager's contract may have offended some of the elected officials because they didn't know much about it or didn't understand it until they were put in a position to use it. I would be very careful about how that was brought forward from a a point appointment from within
1: yeah th- this was just the manager left for another position so there wasn't any bad blood it's just that we we have the manager now he's terrific he's fantastic i just think that he's already broached the subject with them. hey this needs to be done and everyone agrees oh yeah we'll get to it and i just would like to see it not be in limbo for so long i think it's important for him to nail that down for another of- you're right joe you know, i can also
2: tell you i would with- Even if, as Jack said, if there's some aspects of the agreement that they have a problem with because they didn't understand it, then fine. Let's open up the process. Let's negotiate a new agreement. They can bring up the points that they have with that previous contract, and you you would try and work them out. If it's a serious problem, it may be enough that I wouldn't take the job. And Joe, persistence pays. I think you can't. You just have to keep at it. And it's kind of like, I was thinking of this earlier, it's kind of like fire insurance. You don't, the best time to get an agreement is when everything is going well. And it uh, is right it, now.
1: And what I'm concerned with is we have the potential to have the five-member board be replaced by three new members. Right. I'd like to see the manager get this secured, at least in place, even if it is, like you said, short-term and has to reset next election. It would be good that it exists before that occurs. We've already had one member resign. So right now we're doing the search for a replacement commissioner. I hope
4: Ron and Larry would agree that even if it's a short-term contract, there's precedental value going forward with that. So I think it is a meaningful agreement to have in place. So Larry, you want to pick it up again with the questions? Sure.
2: Be happy to, Keith. And I think we've touched on some of these things and I apologize if it's redundant, but we talked a little bit about the initial contract being very important. But and Joe provided a great segue to this. How do you believe your manager should negotiate for additional benefits? And I'll add to that the question of what are the some of the reactions you might expect when the subject of enhancements to a contract is brought up. I think now it's even more so in the sense that the law requires that you have to reopen the agreement after the next municipal election and amend the contract and anything else. Because of that, it opens the door. And it certainly gives you, as the manager, the opportunity to submit some changes and so on that you would like to see to the agreement. As I said, that is something that I did in changing the severance package and going over to the health retirement savings account, even negotiated for them to create the health savings account. And of course, the executive employees were in that group because not only did it do that, it also allowed that there could be lump sum payments. On an annual basis, in addition to the the payroll payments that were made, you could negotiate some lump sum payments. If you did it, when you set up the health retirement savings account, it allowed you to put more money into that account. again, as I said, it goes in tax-free and comes out tax-free. So that was something that, that I looked at and took advantage of in regards to an example with the car, I got to the tail end of my career because I had negotiated to where I had full use of the township vehicle for business and personal use. But when I was getting close to retirement, I knew, hey, I needed a vehicle of my own. So what I did is opened up as a part of the contract renegotiations, did an amendment where the township just started paying me a monthly fee towards the cost of the car, operating it and maintaining it. And then that way, when I retired, the car was mine. Uh, so that was a change I negotiated. There were some other changes that I negotiated over time in regards to training. I came to an agreement with the board after I had negotiated to, to go to the Kennedy School of Government, that program for executives in state and local government. We also negotiated that they would allocate $3,500 a year for training to a maximum of 10000 And then I could use that to take courses that would benefit the township. But I also was willing to negotiate that, hey, if I didn't stay five years after they had paid out, for instance, like the Harvard program, I had to pay them back on a prorated basis, that expense that was incurred so that that opened the door that I could take additional courses that, that I wanted to take. That, that they were some changes that we did into the, the, the agreement. There were some other changes that over time, like I said, when I got closer to retirement, there were certain changes that I wanted. I also always negotiated that I made a payment towards the health insurance. I made a payment towards the use of the phone. And when it was a car that I made, per, these were all for payroll, that I was making payments. Again, that was for tax purposes in the sense that I didn't have to claim them, the value of the employee because I was paying that on a monthly on a, well, a per pay basis for use of the automobile for my own private use. When you <laughs> negotiated the, these enhancements, I'm going to call it that, did you tie the, uh, and Jack mentioned it earlier and mentioned it, Ron, did you do that in concert with the annual review? With I, like I said, it was always one of the things in the agreement It required they had to evaluate my performance on an annual basis, but we also would have annual meetings where met with department heads, but also met with the elected officials to establish the goals and objectives for the upcoming year. And that is as a part of that process, as I told you, my evaluation, they would also, and what they wrote up and so on, not only my general performance, but they could add to that if they were satisfied or dissatisfied with the performance in regards to implementing the goals and objectives that they had established for the community. So it was part of that overall process of so renegotiating. And it, listen, it's, they don't automatically do the evaluation. It was something that I had to sit down with the chairman and the vice chair and talk about it. I put together the form to give to them. Then, yeah, sometimes it took a little urging. <laughs> on the part of the chairperson or the vice chair to get the rest of the board. I must tell you that for 12 years, there was one member of the board that never participated, always tried to get him to participate, but he didn't. And I can also tell you, he's the one supervisor <laughs> that for the 12 years he was on the board, never voted to approve the, the accounting bill on an agenda, nor would he approve of the annual budget. I think it's great to do the evaluations. My experience too is that, and Nancy and I have talked about this, that it really takes persistence to get board members to do those evaluations. It's not a, and Jackie, I'd be interested in your comments here because a lot of board members will say, look, we'll let you know if if we don't like what you're doing fine. They don't want to get into that critical, there's something, there's an approach void aspect to this, much like managers with doing evaluations at the architects and everybody else. So it's it, it does take, go back to that word persistence to make that happen.
3: Yeah. I had the same problem that the board members, I would ask for an evaluation they say, we think everything's fine. What do you need? What can we do for you? And that was <laughs> usually the extent of it, unless I pressed them to say, I want to know what you like what I'm doing and let's do go farther with it. But anyway, I just want to make some comments about asking for things. And I, as an elected official, I'm involved with a number of organizations where I do personal reviews, personal reviews as part of, where trustees or whatever. And in doing that, I appreciate an executive that comes in and says, this is where I am. This is what I need and what I don't need and those kinds of things. I don't appreciate someone that comes in and said, Larry Wagman or Larry Gomminell works down there and he got a nice raise this year. I'd like to have the same thing. You don't do that. You have to base this on what the needs are of the community, what you're doing, and don't be asking for things that don't make sense. And that's, I've had a couple of people say that to me, I can recognize the bull. If you pardon the expression. And I don't want to hear it. I want to know what your needs are. And I want you to be honest and I'll be honest with you. And I'll tell you what we can and can't do. We'll go from there. And I think that's so important because a lot of people think negotiations are that someone's going to come in and say, I'm going to go as high as I can, knowing you're going to bring me down. And I don't think that's appropriate. I think you have to state exactly where you are and what your needs are. And don't try to play games. I just, I think you can see through that very quickly And a an elected official. Someone came in to me as one of our employees and said, those kinds of things that, that I know, or just let's see what I can get, that it just doesn't work it's not, won't sit with me. Aaron.
5: Yeah. I was going to ask at what point in the like hiring process. Would you want to hear from somebody about what they want in their contract? Do you want to go through the whole process and say, this is our primary candidate and now you get into, so now you want me and now here's the things that I want? Or are you interested in hearing that almost going in with the needs are? Because I would want to know what people want ahead of time before I'd want to hire them or go further down the road. But also at the same time, it might seem presumptuous. Have you been in that experience?
2: I'll answer it from the manager's standpoint. I want to wait until I've been made the offer and i the candidate. I'm going to be honest, that puts me in the best position, okay, to negotiate the things that I would like to see. But I also agree with Jack. I just, I never negotiated something just on the basis of somebody else's contract. Like I said, I evaluated my contract based on my life, went after different changes as my life was changed. Also, as you saw. I never, I was always willing to quote, put in, like I said, health insurance, copay, telephone copay, the vehicle copay. And again, that was also as part of being the manager, I have to sit down and negotiate with the employees. And of course, copay on healthcare was an issue that came into being towards the end of my performance. And the same way, with some of the other issues when we were dealing with the police and so on in regards to use of phones and vehicles, okay? Because I was making co-pays and doing things, they couldn't really complain when I said, okay, police, if you want to carry our phone, blah, 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 then you need to pick up X percentage of the monthly fee for that phone because you want it for personal use and we were able to negotiate that.
5: one of the reasons I asked this is because I think when you start to get into that contract negotiation, you start to really see the personality. So I was in a position where I had been selected and you've been through the interview process, but I guess because it's routine, they're asking everyone the same thing. It didn't really get as vetted. And so by the time they made the offer and then I started to talk about what was important to me for a contract, Like we literally walked away because was not going to be a good fit because things that were important to me at that point in my life had to do with a little bit more of the flexibility because I have a young family and that was like unheard of to them. And I was just like, this is, we're we're not going to be in a good spot. But then it was awkward because now I felt bad. I'm in government and now I'm like, now I got to go back out. Now they got to go do this whole process over again. I'm like, I pardon me. Like, I wish we would have started with vacation time because when you said, "Hey, you have to work here for six months before you can have a sick day or take vacation," I said, <laughs> have, "Do you have children in, in in daycare? Do you know how often they're sick?" And then this was before COVID, but those are real concerns. And so I start to see this now too with employees. The real change in what is important for benefits. Less about severance, less about sometimes money, but a lot heavier on flexibility. And so, how do we work that into kind of our mold? And I think there's sometimes a mismatch between, let's say, there's a lot of managers that are retiring and that was important to them because their families have grown up and they didn't need as much time and they were willing to put in everything. And it's not that I'm not willing to put it in. You're trying to balance both things. And so, I felt like there was a real mismatch between what it was that I was going to need and what it was that they were going to offer. And I I look back and I think, I think we dodged a bullet. And I know I did because the person who came in after me last three months. And I'm like, you didn't ask the right questions because it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. They've been through, I think in the last three years, three different managers. And I'm like, that place was burning and churning them. They didn't hear the need. So I guess that's kind of my question is, When's the right time to start to ask those questions?
3: I, Aaron, I just have a quick comment and I don't take this personally and I don't mean it the way it may sound, but <laughs> I think it's very important when you're looking at a position in any entity to look at their personnel policy and their, how they structure their vacations and all those kinds of things. And again, anybody that has six months before you can take a week's vacation or a day's vacation is antiquated you don't want to work for them anyway. It's just not today's world, but I think today we recognize, and again, I'll go back to just a recent hire at the library. And when we made the offer, that's when we sat down That in the interview process, we asked about whether there was anything that, that they needed that was different from our personnel policy, it was a mention of a couple of things, but we didn't negotiate that until we made an offer. And then we sat down and came to that conclusion it was beneficial to both parties. But yeah, I think that doing a little bit of homework ahead of time and looking at what policies that community has will give you a good indication of what you're up against when you try I to... think
5: I, they had a manager and had been there for 40 years. So the last time they bothered to redo or update any of their sure. personnel manual was when they hired that person. So. I'm like, one of the, when they say, what's one of the first things you would do? I'm like, I think we need to take a look at your personnel manual. And I think my thought was potentially often the managers can negotiate things that are above and beyond outside of what the normal personnel manager or personnel manual has. And that was maybe my hope going in because it that wasn't going to work very well. But I think that's a really smart way to do it by saying, are there any specific needs that you have that are outside of the personnel manual so that you start to get to the heart of this? beforehand so that you're not then going through the whole process of bringing somebody on and stopping the search and now into negotiations. And that's when it folds apart. So I do that approach.
2: I agree with Jack. I got the copies of the personnel policies and other manuals from the township before I sat down with the board. So I knew what their positions were. And that actually helped me in presenting some of the things I was requesting. For instance, instead of no vacation. Because I already had 12 years into the business and was being hired as the manager, I was able to have a good conversation with them and negotiate with them. And they agreed to give me the 20 days of vacation immediately. It's a tough call Eric, and I understand your point completely, but I really do think it's very difficult to, unless you're asked a direct question by the board about what you would need. I think you, you're in the best position after the conditional offer is made and there is some back and forth negotiation. And I understand what you're saying. And I've had experience with this, John and I, that where folk, the younger folks are interested in flexibility, perhaps more than salary. I had a candidate who said that in an interview, he wanted five weeks of personal time off the first day one. He walked in. Now, there there were a group of managers, or excuse me, a group of supervisors that were my age. They all looked at each other and said, "That's not my experience in the workplace." So it became it became a negative, a a huge negative. So that it's just that it's difficult, I think, to make those kind of. I'm going to say statements or you call it demands or needs until that offer is made. i think that I think that's what you need to do, and Jack made a good point. if they're telling you you to get on vacation for six weeks you're at six months and you're in there in the that vacation schedule like a, like everybody else. It's not a place you want to go because most contracts. I've seen four weeks as the day you walk in. The
1: manager is given four weeks vacation, so it's not. That's just not a. That's not a good spot to be in. I would like to add. I think, especially in the past three years, we've seen a shift in time as a currency, and what it means to people. Not necessarily myself. I've been at the township 23 years, and I'm old school. I didn't get any vacation my first year because I was just a clerk and in the parks department. But I think as we see uh, our field transition into the next generation in the younger hands, I think you're going to see money, not necessarily be less important, but I think time and flexibility is something that we're going to see in manager contracts. That is, that's going to be the focal point not necessarily really increases, or what they're making is the amount of flexibility that they have. Because time and time off, what I consider time off, the definitions have shifted, even for someone my age. Younger people want to have that in and out ability. Although in government, we all know, you can't really do it remotely. Yeah, you're never
2: off. I can yeah. tell you that a recent recruitment we did in a municipality that had a four-day work week was a, was a very attractive. It attracted some interest from the candidates. That that was a big incentive for for some of the candidates that they would Friday was either work from home or and off. That they were off. So it's you're right, Joe. It's it's an important aspect.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think in generally when I look at our employees and the issues today of hiring employees in municipalities, one of the things that that we see the most are the benefits and flexibility. And I can remember when we started our own refuse department a number of years ago. Um, we had we we weren't as draconian as Aaron mentioned with you don't get anything for six months, but you earned a day off each month or something like that. And when we hired drivers, a lot of those drivers had experience and had worked for other people and they were coming to us and then they they were losing vacation time. Within a month of hiring all of our refuse crew, we increased every vacation time to a minimum of two weeks to start right away because we wanted to hire people that had time in other, as Ron mentioned, he was in another community where he had time and you can't just go and give that up. So.
0: I'd like to just jump in here, and I think that what you all are talking about now is really great, great back and forth, but we do need to move to a closing, and I want to just offer here one of the observations I have made over my discussions with Larry and Ron and getting ready for this session is that so much of what is done at the manager contract level is a form of leadership. It is setting a tone. What goes into that manager contract is the manager setting the tone for what is then going to become, in many respects, available to other staff, and staff see this potential. So I want to just acknowledge that piece of it. And maybe in the wrap-up closing, as Keith can walk through this and each of you, he can have each of you give your closing comments, if you have something that you would say, if I could... <laughs> negotiate something into a contract, what are some provisions that I would love to see negotiated into that? And maybe we can get that sense of what maybe are some mm, top priorities for for a contract provisions for a manager. I'll turn it over to you, Keith.
4: I think looking at the program, Nance, you have have some tremendous questions and comments coming up that maybe there's a chapter two to yes. this presentation. It's just, this is excellent this morning. One of the things that strikes me about all of the comments today, with the exception of Ron's opening remarks about the statutory authority to create and fill manager's position, everything else that everyone has talked about is not isolated to the public sector. It's just really the basis for any contract negotiation with a CEO or a senior leadership position. It's, been a very thought-provocative and interesting discussion. But at that point, let me just ask Jack, Joe, Aaron, if you have any closing thoughts about about the presentation today?
3: I have just to say, I enjoy working with Ron and Larry and their experience and, and what they do to help both municipalities and the professional managers in the Commonwealth. I think it's very important. And as a municipal elected official, I do very much want to have professional staff that is competent and so forth. And it's people like Larry and Ron that, that create these educational points and also recruitment of folks that, that we can feel confident to help us do the public good.
1: Thank you. I would just say I appreciate everyone's professional insight and your years of experience. I'm in awe of people that have dedicated so much time in local government. I don't know if people in the private sector can appreciate how difficult it can be at times and navigating the political waters and the personalities and the changes that come down from federal and state. I think it's a very unique, rewarding profession. And I guess my parting comments would be, I love what I do. Clearly, I'm in it for life. And I think what we have is very special. And it's important to, I think, impart on the public what goes on behind the scenes. So I like the transparency and I like moving forward in this direction. And I like these talks. So I appreciate everyone's time. Thank you.
5: Yeah, my comment was going to be along the same vein is one of the resources that you guys maybe humbly didn't bring up yourselves. The first thing that happened when I was looking at that job was I reached out to other managers to say, hey, what what's important here? How do I start? And it's so great that there's like a community here because immediately they were like, we're going to help you. You want to look at this slash this. And I love that. I love that there's camaraderie in this field. And so we do. We really do appreciate these kind of sessions and everybody's knowledge.
2: Very good yeah. Larry Ron. All all I appreciate that. I just I think my closing thoughts go to that uh, uh, a comment I always repeat from Le of their Own. If it was easy, everybody would do it, and it's not this is a job that's professional. it's it requires professionalism and a high level of skill and expertise. And I think all the things we talked about, and I think on the elected official side, they have to recognize that that it is not easy. The market for experienced professional managers is very tight. I've done enough recruiting and manager searches to know that the market out there, it's a seller's market in the sense of those who are looking for positions. And. All these things go to attracting a high level of competence in, their, in a manager, which really is a reflection. If, you, if a community and a elected officials hire a highly professional manager, it is a direct reflection on their, their competence and their ability to move the community forward. So all these things, I think, should be put in the context of attracting the best absolutely the best professional manager that they that can that's out there i think the comments i think as a manager you have to understand the elected officials you have to understand their concerns and so on and as jack has indicated when you are negotiating agreements keep their responsibilities and ideas in mind and make sure that what you're asking for as jack even indicated i agree that it's what you want from that community, and you're not using the examples of somebody to try and our argue. point, you argue the job you do, your performance and how you handle things and then present your arguments as to the different contract amendments that, that you would like to see done and why and have good solid reasons for those changes. That's critical. Uh, the only other thing I would say is if you're going to negotiate as you indicated the problems you've had with the community is you want to make sure that you not only get a hold of if there's a, a contract uh, in place, but also their personnel policies and review them and understand them so that when you go in to negotiate. I learned very quickly when it came to sick leave and upper variant, I didn't have to negotiate sick leave. They actually had an unlimited sick leave policy where it was 90 days off per incident. I didn't even have to push or try to negotiate in regards to sick. They're the types of things you need to do your homework as well. well hopefully we've been helpful to you. And Nancy, if there's, that you want to do a follow-up, uh, no problem on my behalf. We're glad to help my fellow professionals. Nancy, thank you for assembling this group. About 400 years of experience, I think. On
1: screen, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> only the best. I only assemble the best. Yes, again, this is really the advisory team and I wanted just to sort of give the session over to all of you today. I specifically don't get active managers involved in some of these because they have so much on their plate. Not that you guys don't. I know the assistant managers do, but I also wanted you to be able to have sort of a frank conversation. And I thought this was the right mix. And I'm so glad that Keith was willing to come on today and also facilitate, help me facilitate this session. I'm going to let him say the final word. Go ahead, Keith.
4: My, my only comment, Nancy, just to pick up where Ron and Larry just were, thank you. This has just been an incredible program. I've spent a few years working in local government and it was a privilege to see this today. You're right. You did assemble the best of the best. And I worked with all these guys and they, they truly are leaders and the consummate professional in government today. So thank you. And uh, I hope you're able to pick it up at some point in the future. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Keith. All right.